Hello and welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews, a podcast where we are watching the top 100 films of all time and then we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Dan, what did we watch? We watched the second Quentin Tarantino movie chronologically on the list, Pulp Fiction. We started this whole thing off with Reservoir Dogs, which was 92, I want to say. and now 1992? We, yes. And now we've got Pulp Fiction, which is 94, the greatest year in the history of the world, because it is when the world gained Jenny and Dan. So, <laughs> Darn uh, congratulations to the world for Pulp Fiction and Jenny and Dan. Wow. I was nervous about watching this one because I've seen it in the past, just like everyone else in the world. Yep. And I thought, that is a really good movie. It's really great. I love it. Yes. And then we started the rewatch, and we watched Reservoir Dogs, and I'm like, hmm. That's a lot of the N-word. The crudeness of the movie (laughs) is kind of ruining it for me, and there's still a lot of things I like about Reservoir Dogs. Oh, for sure. But it's overall soured, and now we're looking down the barrel of three or four more Tarantino movies, and I thought, man, really don't want to ruin my perception of these movies. Ruin. Ruin. I did not want to ruin the movie. (laughs) So we... (laughs) Charge ahead into Pulp Fiction and, you know, thoughts enclosed in this podcast, in yeah. this coming episode. Well, how would you, how would you rate this movie? Do you want to jump to that or should we stick with our formula? It's probably one of the top oh. 100 <laughs> movies. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what are you? <laughs> I thought you were breaking formula, but you were sticking to formula. You wanted to go back to formula. <laughs> Spider-Man. Cool. So, we open up with a dictionary definition of pulp, uh, which was funny, I guess. Yeah. Kind of just puts his intentions out there uh, on the board, and I don't remember the exact definition. Uh, It is the detritus from citrus fruits, such as orange, (laughs) lemon. And then the secondary definition was basically fiction printed on very cheaply made uh, paper pulp. Yeah. Uh, Often with lurid content. Yeah. And we actually, this is not really relevant to Quentin Tarantino or Pulp Fiction, but I took a course in college about uh, crime fiction and like the history of crime fiction. And we learned all about, you know, Penny Dreadfuls and things mm-hmm. like that, which is basically the first version of pulp cool. fiction. Just real crime and stuff, but kind of viewed as trashy and tasteless because it was uh, incentivizing the sale based on real death and brutality. Yeah. So Much like true crime podcast shows. In this very day and age. Yeah. Books. And I eat Books. it up. Yeah. Yum, 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 yum. They're addicting, but there's always something in the back of the head that's like, this is evil. I feel entertained right now, <laughs> and these people suffered. You know, that's neither here nor there. Just a little connection to pulp. And Pulp Fiction, the movie. It's kind of weird. I wonder if when it was announced, people are like, you can't just take a concept like Pulp Fiction and make that your movie title. And now whenever I hear Pulp Fiction, I certainly think of the movie. And it would take me a while to think of the concept of Pulp Fiction as a... Novel. Novel, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Anyhow, <laughs> we're, on the, we're in a diner with... Well, no, we're in our guest bedroom yeah well this is our recording studio for right uh, all all the all the people at home that care <laughs> we're in a recording studio but in reality sitting in a corner of our guest room it's we could make nice. it look more like a recording studio well once we get some microphones which are on the way and we yeah, just we'll couldn't hold out arrange or something i was thinking these we could fasten them like right here okay and right here and then uh-huh. just bring it in front of your face we could um get you a chair like the one I'm in, so you don't have to sit in the rolly boy. Mm, I like this chair. It's comfortable. Okay. I, I just have to be careful to not scoot and make noise. That, oh, I'm on a squeaky board right here. Just no leaning. No leaning, no scooting. Stay perfectly still. So we, the camera, the viewers uh, of the action of the film are in a diner. Don't break the fourth wall like that. We're in a diner, and we are watching Tim Roth. And his wife, whose actress's name I do not know. Audrey Hepburn. 
Yes, she (laughs) (laughs) probably she took a break from living a posh lifestyle. Yeah, well, in in '94 she would have been working for the UN. Oh, really? She was yeah. She was um quite political before she died. I didn't know about this facet of Audrey Hepburn's life. Mm, It's very interesting. I think she died of appendix cancer. Something. Or is that just the cover story the CIA created yeah. for her activities in the UN? She actually crashed a plane in the middle of nowhere, never to be seen again. That was... That's Amelia Earhart. Okay, yeah, I'm like, that. that's the plane woman. <laughs> I forgot her name, though. You came... She was anything but plain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good one. <laughs> anyway, Tim Roth, Larry... Um, Mr. Orange? Uh, Larry was Mr. White in Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Orange. Oh, okay. I forgot his name. It was, uh, a stereotypically Jewish last name. Um. Oh, right. But that's not very important. He just has this bit role here where he's with his wife and they're discussing robbing and their career of robbing and how people can just show up with a phone and someone came in and said, Gave a, the teller a cell phone, and the person on the cell phone said, Oh, we have his daughter. If you don't give him money, we're going to kill the daughter. And basically, these two characters are just sitting in a d- diner discussing how they want to change up their robbery mm-hmm. method. And then they decide to rob the restaurant or the coffee shop. Yes. Um, I looked it up. A bank robbery gets you about $4,000 in the U.S. Wow, that's low. Yeah, in the U.K., it's about 30000 like 30,000 US dollars, roughly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to the euro, I don't know. How is that possible? Different security. And then, um, small stores and stuff, like a, a gas station, $700. Jeez. It's such high-risk, low-reward. Yeah, just imagine the desperation to do that. Or the sheer, what's the term, like bravado and uh, hubris to think, oh, hubris? it'll like it'll be easy to just do this and there's they don't see the high risk it's just a quick in and out shake a gun get some money but they also well, you don't want so if you get a weapons charge some places that carries a minimum sentence so you're probably better off robbing somewhere without a weapon hmm. like with a cell phone yeah but basically they decide yeah right here right now if they have weapons so they'll get yes. a weapons charge they if got they're little pea shooters. well tim roth has a revolver he does have a revolver and the scene ends with them hopping up and screaming, nobody move, this is a robbery. <laughs> and then we cut to our next little timeline, because this movie is famously a disjointed timeline. Which, which is good. I yeah, like. I was going to say, what? Maybe we can like cover this later. but Our I, own disjointed timeline. I do have, oh, yes, we're very Tarantino-esque in our review method. <laughs> I am kind of curious... Just to put this thought in your head as we go through, what do you think the benefit or purpose of having it disjointed was? I don't want to hear an answer now. Oh. We'll circle back. Oh, God. I get time to think about it? Oh, yeah. But uh, real cool. Uh, the song, I think, is called Miserlou, but that iconic guitar riff. Oh, you stopped the movie to double check if it was a riff that the Death Grips used. No, that was later in um, Jack Rabbit Slims. This is uh, this is a song that's sampled by the Black Eyed Peas when they go like, pump it louder. Oh, oh. Yeah, so the title credit okay. song, it's just so badass because you have these people hop up on their table and scream that it's a robbery, and then you cut to big black letters, Pulp Fiction. Hop, hop, hop. <gasps> yeah, really awesome. Oh, to continue the theme of our Reservoir Dogs and our critiques of Tarantino so far, uh-huh. they use a lot of slurs, these two characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and maybe I'm just trying to make defense for Pulp Fiction because I really want to love it and rate it high. But these two characters are never set up to be cool or badasses. So when these people, Tim Roth and his wife, the mm-hmm. diner robbers... Yeah. When they're saying, I forget what slurs they use, but oh, they yeah, I, I think it's like Jewish slurs and mm-hmm. uh, slurs for Asian people, yeah. and probably a gay slur if I recall. But that might be just assuming. But these people are never like built up to be super cool and suave. In fact, they are shown to be pretty inept. And later they get 
schooled, schooled and handled like chumps. Mm-hmm. So I will say so far, my issue with Reservoir Dogs is that the people using these, this really hateful language are clearly written to be cool and we're rooting for them and uh, meant to view them as smooth operators and they have suits and shit. And this one so far, the slurs are just said by dolts mm-hmm. that I, so I think this will probably change as the movie goes on and as we talk about it more. But for now, the slurs are not unforgivable. They're they're said by stupid people who don't are out of their element and they're not being made into heroes, basically. Yeah, I'd agree. Sweet. Cool. Cool. And I just wanted to make a point of that because our low, low rating of Reservoir Dogs, which might be seen as controversial, is basically rooted in our current view of terms like that. But it's not because those terms are used, it's because of who and how. You know, so I'm just going to go ahead and defend this particular portion of the movie as not as egregious. Oh, definitely not. When we watched, I don't remember who made the YouTube video, but has Reservoir Dogs aged well? Oh, yeah. That was um, a Nerd Writer 1 video. Ah, when he said it did, I was really surprised. Yeah, but the thing is, he didn't focus on the content at all. No. So it's like, if you ask me, do I like Reservoir Dogs because of the acting and how it's shot and... Like, the story? Yeah. But it's really good. Yeah. But uh, it's very easy to make a positive claim for any old movie if you only focus on the things that did actually age well, you know? Mm-hmm. You want to take us to the, the Jules and Vincent segment here? Sure. Uh, cuts to them in a car having a casual conversation about Europe. Vincent had just been in Amsterdam, and they're talking about how weed is seen as legal there. And it's just super casual. They're talking about, do you know what they call a quarter pounder royale with cheese? Mm. And it's just two dudes hanging out in suits. The cool guys. You can tell they're cool because they do weed new yeah. to Europe. These are the cool guys. They eat McDonald's. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and then they pull up to an apartment complex thing. And Jules said, we should have shotguns. And they talk a bit about... How many guys? What's going on? And this is all from a, a trunk shot as well. Yeah, cool which shot. Which is the trademark, you know, Tarantino. Yeah, and uh, Vega agrees, oh, we should have shotguns. So they're about to get into some shit. Mm-hmm. But we see them go upstairs. Well, they also talk about Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, quick. he's introduced at this point, both Marcellus and Mia, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On their way, walking in to the elevator. Yes, to the elevator, they're talking about... Uh, the Samoan guy who gave Marcellus Wallace's wife a foot massage, and he gets yeeted from a balcony. Four stories up. And he had a crazy handle that he went by. I forget what fat it was. Fat Tony or something? No, it, was, it wasn't Fat Tony. It was like um, <laughs> like wrecking. It, it was like two words and then a name. It was like a nickname. And I wish I wrote it down because it was one of those things that's like, that's just ridiculous. Like... Hot salami mommy. Honestly, close. <laughs> it was a really weird name, but they're talking about it, and it's just one of those things that's just weird in a good way to me. You know, it's just a fun just little detail. crazy characterization for a guy you're never going to meet. Probably to make you care about him more and care about the fact that he got tossed off a balcony for giving a wife a foot massage. Yeah, and to immediately introduce the fact, the idea that Marcellus does not fuck around. You do not. He, he's throwing people out of windows for touching his wife. Yeah. And it's also introduced at this point how uh, Jules has to take, is it? Yeah, it's Vincent has to take Mia out on uh, a date. This is just kind of brought up uh, casually at this point and then detailed later on in the movie. Yeah. But um, I do want to just say now that it is such a weird concept to me. That you would ask a guy to take your wife out on the Yeah, time? you're like, I'm going to be out of town for a, a night Will you please ensure that my wife has good company? It's like, if you go out of town, it's like, I'm playing video games until two, you know, and I'm not leaving the couch. If you were like, oh, I'm going to send a friend of mine over so you can, like, hang out, I'd be like, could you please not? (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to just sit here. And I'm sure that is uh, the same from your end. But it's such a weird thing to, like, take care of my wife. You could, um, if you had a friend with a dog, come over. Oh, yeah, just so you had the dog energy when you got back. that'd be good. 
Anyhow, what are they walking around this apartment for and discussing foot rubs and all that? Oh, right, right. So they go up to, I guess it's a loft, you would call it, and there's three guys in the loft. There's flock of seagulls looking guy with the weird bangs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brett, who's eating some burgers. At 7.30 a.m. Uh-huh. <laughs> Healthy burger breakfast, just like Spider-Man. Yes. Oh, yeah. I wonder if, well... Not every time burgers come up, it has to be a As reference. Breakfast, but... but that's a tasty burger. And then Marvin. Marvin. Yes. And those are the three we see. Yes. And Jules, power plays, takes a bite of the tasty burger, and then he drinks the guy's entire Sprite. Mm -hmm. And he, um... meanwhile, Vincent's walking around. He asks, where is the briefcase? And they're starting to rough him up after this, I don't know, foreplay? Yeah, he power play tries to get him play. scared, and then immediately, as soon as he's scared, he throws a table, and it's like, whoa. Yeah, no um, more burger breakfast. And where is, where's the thing? Because it's just a briefcase. They never describe what it is. I think that's a movie. It's not a detail, but the reason it's just this ethereal light is because they had no clue what would be worth it for all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, all the fan theories. I've read some of how it's Marcellus's soul. <laughs> Uh, because when we see him, he's got the band-aid on his neck. And someone said at one point on some internet forum that, oh, it's in this culture, your soul is said to escape out the back of your neck. But that is, just turns out to be a total fabrication that they made up to support this fan theory. Um, so, yeah, just a light bulb with some gold foil to reflect. Yeah, know? super cool. It is uh, really awesome. And the way Vincent opens up the briefcase and looks in and gets the light on his face is a, a very cool shot. Basically, this whole sequence is, uh, it's very iconic. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, does he shoot Flock of Seagulls at uh, this point? Yeah, it happens. So they see the stuff and Jules is like, explain yourself. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Say what again? Oh, yeah. Then, uh... Well, that flock of eagles gets killed before that, and then he starts being... Really yeah, because Brett tries to, like, oh, he tries start to talking, yeah. and Jules just shoots a flock of seagulls, lying on the, this guy lying on the couch right in the face, and kills him. Says, oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? The iconic line of, uh, say what again, do they speak English and what? The other iconic line of, what does Marcella Swallis look like? Yes. He says, what? And he gets shot. Does he look like a bitch? Why are you trying to fuck him like one? Which is a hilarious line and just super intense interrogation. And he starts to read his Bible verse off. Yeah. Uh, and things are starting to uh, pop off. They they shoot Brett at this point and kill him, right? And then we have another cut. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, I do just want to say real quick how this whole sequence of them in the car talking about Amsterdam... And the conversation generally bleeds into this foot rub thing. They get to their destination and they go up into the apartment, continue talking about the foot rub and come back. It's just this whole natural conversation kind of bleeding through the city. It's very similar to Mr. Orange's story where he goes into a deeper level, deeper level, deeper level. And here we're on the road in an apartment building in a stairwell right in front and it just gets more and more small scale, the, the surroundings, and the conversation gets more and more pointed to the character, like the important character of Marcellus and Mia, who we're going to meet later, right up until they enter. You know, so it's just this really cool combination of narrowed scope of setting and tighter conversation, you know? And I thought that uh, it's just a super well-crafted, you know? I didn't even pick up on that. Hot well, dang. Now you can. So the burger interrogation, all that, and then we cut to Marcellus himself. Yep. The guy who was built up. We see the back of his head, and then we see... Actually, at this point, we don't see the back of his head. We just see Butch, mm -hmm. played by... Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, thank you. And we hear Marcellus's voice talking about pride and all that, and how Bruce Willis, a.k.a. Butch, is going to go down in the fifth round, and he's going to throw a fight. And I really like this whole sequence... We don't look at Marcellus at all, and Butch doesn't say a word, but we are watching the guy not talking, and he's just got the stone-cold look, and it seems to be a pretty solid acting job as far as I'm concerned of him kind of 
realizing what is being asked, realizing how he feels about it, and trying not to sell anything to Marcellus, you know, on what he's truly going to do. So, good little yeah. intro of both of these characters, even though we don't see Marcellus at all. Jules and Vincent arrive during this. Yeah, wearing fun little t-shirts and shorts. Yeah. With no context. Yeah, because again, split timelines, mm-hmm. something has happened between here. We also find out that Butch and Vince have beef. Right, they, they're just two tough little, guys, I guess. Little baby beef. Yeah, the tough guy seen at the bar. Who do you th- who would win? Probably Butch. Yeah, he's the prize fighter. Yes, in a in a fist fight, and he literally wins later. Ooh, um, spoilers! Yeah, the mystique of the movie is gone. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, see Marcellus and Vincent are tight, and that's probably why he's asking Vincent to take care of his wife later. And I don't know how much time you want to spend on this because we move right along to Vincent getting heroin. Yeah, he. Picks up some heroin from his... Red-headed Jesus dealer. Yeah, I forget his name. I don't know it either. There are some... Oh, th- this is another slur uh, yep. scene yep. where he refers to the N-word houses. The dealer. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you... you tr-. Basically, direct comparison to uh, black people being scum he would not deal with. So this drug dealer is a racist... And I think this one is problematic because he is used for a comedic effect later, and he's basically like the saving grace to a whole situation with Mia and Vince. So, I don't know, I guess if uh, I'm knocking points off of Reservoir Dogs, I'm going to be knocking points off for this too. Okay. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, casual. Wasn't necessary. Yeah, casual racism uh, coming from a character who we later are expected to like. Or at least be grateful for, for being around. Yeah. He does kind of suck. I mean, he's just a meth or a heroin dealer. And he does kind of seem, uh, he's kind of cast as pretty abusive towards... He's shitty. Well, I guess, what are, what are, what's your opinion on him? Is it kind of excused by the fact that... Maybe I'm putting too much on the fact that he has an adrenaline shot. He he's, just, yeah, he's he kind still... of seems like a shitty guy. Okay. I don't think he's supposed to be a hero. He just has an adrenaline shot. Right. And he's definitely cast as abusive, racist, scummy. Yeah. And Vincent, I mean, he's no saint either, but I don't think he drops any... You're right, he just picks up some heroin. They don't... In a... Do you want to talk about the movie detail? Go ahead. No, you do. No, I know you told it to me, so you should say Well, I saw it on Reddit. But basically, he buys heroin, and there is no... Real good heroin. Real good heroin. Better than Amsterdam heroin. 500 bucks a gram. Yeah, he spends $1,500 on heroin. And this was, I assume, in the 70s to 80s. Or probably a little later than the 70s. <laughs> oh. oh, he runs off. I, sorry, I have a wrapper for a cat toy that really smells like catnip still. And he wanted it. <laughs> he tried to bite it from me. Okay, yeah, so. he's got it in Ziplocs. Uh, I guess they're not Ziplocs because they don't have the zip. Yeah, just lock. baggies. Just a little plastic bag with a twisty tie. Because he's out of balloons. Yeah. And apparently the movie detail, because later on we meet Mia Wallace, and she is uh, really into Coke. Coke. And she snorts some of this heroin, which leads to a whole situation. Cocaine? Cocaine. Oh, no. But the movie detail I saw that was a fun little detail was... The drug dealer, whose name I forget, says, I'm out of balloons, is baggy, okay? Yep. And apparently, um, well, then there's that whole thing. (laughs) So then, um, apparently, it is common for heroin to be sold and stored in balloons, which is kind of a signifier to people, oh, this is heroin, and cocaine would be in a baggie. So the whole mix-up and need for adrenaline is because Mia knows the lingo and expected cocaine and got a nose full of heroin. But that is later. What happens? You don't like to see it. He shoots up. Yes. He's high on heroin, drives over to uh, Mia Wallace's house for their little date that Marcellus asked him to take her on. Yep. Yep. So he goes to Marcellus Wallace's house, the Wallaceses, who live in this big-ass mansion thing. They have an intercom system, and we see the meme looking around. Yeah, he's confused and lost. Yeah, good old. An all-timer. What is... John Travolta. John Travolta. Good old Scientologist. He is. Maybe that's why he doesn't say the N-word. He's not allowed to because Xenu would zap him. (laughs) 
Azim is out. You hate to see it. So they're at the house. It's nothing of consequence. We see her do some coke, and then they go to some 50s themed diner. Jackrabbit Slims. Thank you. Jackrabbit Slims, the guitar riff. Yeah, this is... There's a... I'm still convinced that it is in a Death Grip song, but not the Chuck Berry song that they dance to, but there's just background music with heavy guitar riff, and I feel as though... It is absolutely sampled in uh, the Death Grips uh, double album, uh, N-Words on the Moon, which is part of the powers that be. So if uh, if anybody out there watches Pulp Fiction, gets to this point, hears that riff, and is a fan of Death Grips, email us (laughs) what the name of the song is. Or tweet at us. at RookieMovieReview at gmail.com, RMR underscore podcast on Twitter, or Rookie Movie Reviews on Facebook. Yes, you can let me know the name of the Death Grip song. I should have just listened through the album. You'll win a prize. Yes. Your prizes will tweet at you. <laughs> Fan interaction. <laughs> so they get seated and order their food. From Steve Buscemi as Buddy Holly. Yeah, fun little cameo. I didn't like that Steve Buscemi came up, said, what will you have? And they both just picked up the menu they're deciding that then. Yeah, was that is that standard back That's then? That's not standard. Very strange. <laughs> and they both could do it. Neither of them were looking at the menu first, I guess. And he got there within ten seconds of them yeah, sitting there's down. There's no way. There's I. This is not how restaurants work. Mm-mm. Quentin Tarantino is too rich to understand, like <laughs> the common man. As if our dogs is too big of a head. Yeah. For a guy who likes diners so much, you would think he'd know how they operate. Oh yeah, he loves restaurant scenes. That being said... She gets a $5 shake. And Vincent knew going in that he wanted steak. Yeah, he did know. He probably just had to double check if they had it. Yes. I think... Can you go into any given restaurant and assume... Probably not. Like, you couldn't go to a pizza place and be like, Ah, oh, you have foie mignon? Yeah, but any standard sit-down restaurant, I bet, has a version of a steak. and it's pro- Some any of them probably diner, just suck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't get a steak from a Denny's or anything. Wow. Can't believe you said that. Because <laughs> we're going for a Grand Slam tomorrow. Yeah. Virus be get... damned. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get a Hobbit hole. Oh, yes. This will come out a week or so after the fact. But tomorrow is our illustrious host, Jenny's birthday. Oh. So happy early birthday. Thank you. And, uh,. You know? I'm so blessed to have you in my life. Oh, <laughs> I'm blessed. Uh, we'll, we'll make it a good one. But hey, if you're hearing this, say happy belated birthday out loud. Tweeted us. <laughs> yeah, tweet. You tweeted us. You it's tweeted. my birthday. That's that's all she wants is a tweet. <laughs> Little Twitter. And I think that, okay, so this whole sequence is pretty good. We get to learn a lot about Mia. Yeah. She was on Fox Force 5, mm-hmm. a failed pilot. She was the... Fireworks girl. She was the knives girl. Knives. She was the knives expert. Deadliest woman in the world with a blade. Uma Thurman. I love Uma Thurman. She's such a good actress. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with her outside of Tarantino stuff. Same. But in but Tarantino she stuff, is very she's very really good. good. She's in, um, I think she's in Super Ex-Girlfriend or something. Oh, yeah. Which is she's, an she's objectively the, bad movie. <laughs> but you really believe that she has powers. <laughs> It's a great performance. And she can dance. Yes, they have their little a... twist contest. Uh-huh. And a uh, pretty long dance number. I, 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 Whenever I see this scene, I always think, pretty good sport, Vince. Uh-huh. You know, he gets up and dances. He clearly yeah. doesn't want to. It's also probably under threat of being thrown out of a window by his boss. Yeah, which he revealed to Mia. She didn't know that that's what caused that. Yeah. And I also, I like, it. she's... She's very much um, as well-written, in my opinion, as all the other main characters. You know, she's she's one of the only main female characters. Well, she is the only main female character, and she's still a side character. Yeah. But her, um, I don't know how to describe it. She, in the trappings of 90s movies, you might think, oh, we have an attractive superstar. She's just going to come up and we'll have her dance on stage or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, get off the screen. But she has her own backstory of film pilot, and um, she's willing to uh, stand up for herself in the face of what her 
gangster husbands, gangster accomplices say about her yeah, and stuff. Yeah, is it, is it established what Marcellus Wallace, like, is? Um, I don't think it's, Lord? it's not explicitly stated, but it's clear from the jump that he is involved in some shady dealings, you know? He's, like, rigging fights. Yeah, he does, he does a lot of stuff, I guess. Rigs fights, uh, has a need for hitmen. Yeah. No. Mia is well written. They have a dance competition. They win, which is cute little characterization. They're both very good dancers, and they're both in high spirits. Going back to the Wallace house, and Vincent is carrying the trophy. They have won the dance competition, mm-hmm. so they're both feeling good. He, uh, he has to go to the bathroom or something. Yeah, these two act. They have very good chemistry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because when they get back. They're both tipsy. Uh, you, as the viewer, can instantly sense there's like some tension in the air, mm-hmm. you know. And he goes up to the bathroom to say, "You're not gonna sleep with her. You're gonna leave, pretty much. You're gonna go home and jerk off." And meanwhile, she's downstairs wearing his coat, finds a baggie of old some some, snorts it, immediate OD, yeah, uh, and is dying. You don't want that much heroin. No, they are going back in the car. Also, this little reveal sequence of when he comes out of the bathroom, he's like, hey, I'm going to take off. Yeah. And uh, we are just seeing her vomit blood face. ODing. And uh, we hear Vincent freak out, and then he she gets picked up out of frame. It's just a cool, I don't know, it's not your standard establishing shot of him entering the room and seeing it. It's a very close-up thing and kind of a weird out-of-body. Like, we're ODing, too. Yeah, yes. <laughs> But it helps. Over. It, it the tight shots help you feel the panic better. Yeah, it's a really good. Tarantino's a very good director. Yes, he it's is. probably why he's, he's, he's so hyped. Hundred uh, percent worthy of the hype. Just some of the content. He loves the N word and he loves feet. Yes, he does. I forgot my foot counting in Pulp Fiction. But There's sure. uh, she takes her shoes off to dance. Ah, and that is it. He really goes whole hog later. Yeah, he, he, when once upon a time in Hollywood rolls around, he's like, bam, we're feeling feet. <laughs> Anyhow. I'm old, I'm fat, and I want feet. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great Tarantino. Yeah, he has such a high voice. Yeah, he, he sounds as nerdy as he is. <laughs> but, um,. Panicked flight to the drug dealer's yeah, house. Because he's gotta have something. And he do. It's two in the morning, and he's eating cereal, and he misses the first call, and then his wife screams from the other room, like, tell them to not call this late, those pieces of shit, and sorry, I was reading ahead on my notes, and I got really, I confused myself a lot, but essentially, he gives Travolta the adrenaline shot, and they gotta pierce her right in the heart, and they do it, and she immediately, like, <gasps> unless you want to talk more about the tension of the scene, it's a good scene. No, yeah, no, that's a totally fair summary. Okay. Oh, we... I was going to talk about the Bruce scene next. Oh, okay, word. I was just going to... The one thing I wanted to point out was when they bring her back, uh, just the juxtaposition between her getting out of the car at Jackrabbit Slims oh. and being like, don't be a... And she makes a motion for a square with her fingertips mm-hmm. and makes a dotted square on the on the screen in the movie. And it's really weird. It's the only time that happens. And it just kind of jumps out. And my takeaway is that it's... Uh, she is so cool and smooth. She gets to break the the rules of the movie pretty much. Like look at look at Mia Wallace. She's badass. And then they're driving back from the drug dealer's house, and they have, she looks like such hell that oh, it made a square. <laughs> Jenny's over here miming the square, and I saw it appear. That's how cool she is. <laughs> uh, they make her look like such hell. And she does not look happy. <laughs> yeah, she's covered like vomit, blood stains, bags under her eyes, hair completely ragged, uh, like she had just OD'd on heroin and was brought back with an adrenaline shot. Drops her off and she tells the um, Fox Forks five joke, Mama Tomato, Daddy Tomato, and a Baby Tomato were walking. Baby Tomato lagged behind. Pop Tomato went back and squished him and said, now catch up. And, and that's a very funny... Very funny joke, and also a, a little cap on the whole Mia Vincent thing. It's like yeah. a mid-movie end. You know, they, they got through their night, and he takes off, and it's just one of those memories now, you know? like It's a, it's a good way to end this crazy situation. Yeah. 
Back to Butch then. Butch, we just cut to Butch. He comes home and well, no, he wakes up. Butch and Walken. Butch is a oh, Butch is a little boy. I triple confused myself. Okay. So dumb. <laughs> you can talk about. It. So yeah, uh, yeah, this is a really great scene, and again, I will say, filled with slurs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely understandable in this point, and the reason I'll say that is because <laughs> Butch is a child. Christopher Walken comes in. And at this point, we learn that Butch's dad was killed in the Vietnam War. He was in a POW camp in Hanoi for over five years. And Walken sits down and explains this really uh, heartfelt lineage of these soldiers in Butch's family. And his narration is really well done. And he's talking about how him and his father became such good friends. And it's super touching. And then we get through the lineage... And it's to Watkins' turn to kind of say what happened after, because his Butch's father had died. And he says, so your dad put this watch. He's talking about a watch that went down. I forgot to mention that little pocket watch. Or not a pocket watch, a wristwatch. That went down the line through Butch's family. And um, they get captured, and now it's Butch's birthright to have it. But they're in the prisoner of war camp. So Butch's dad shoves it up his ass. And he gets... Walken says he gets dysentery. So it's just making this image after this nice little lineage of soldiers and his family. Shoves it up his ass. Dysentery. Dies. I shove it up my ass. Carry it around in my ass for two years. And then he says the G words, the Asian person slur, want to get their hands on it. Um, But I wouldn't let him. So I walked around with it up my ass. And now uh, I'm here giving it to you. And he hands this watch to him after that story. And it's really funny and also totally understandable for him to refer to Vietnamese soldiers with this term because he was a Vietnam vet and they were over there, you know, indoctrinated to hate the enemies so they could kill him. And um, I think if anybody's going to be throwing around that slur, uh-huh. it would be a Vietnam vet who was in a POW camp. Not to say that it's right or whatever, but I think it makes sense for the character. Yeah, it makes so sense. So I'm going to give it a pass. Okay, uh, it's a pass. Me personally. No, I think that's fine. Um, and also one thing that I really like about this scene, apart from it being so black comedy, just uh, shoving a watch up his ass in the POW and super dark, but you can really tell the exact point where Butch's father is narrating the history, exactly how he wants it recited to his friend. He's like, you have to tell my son about this guy, and this guy, and how much this watch means to us. And Christopher Walken, being a great actor, does it very solemnly. And then you get to the part where Butch's dad dies and he immediately cuts it. He's got like a thicker New York accent and he's throwing on slurs. He's like, so I shoved this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass for two years and your dad shit it out because he died of dysentery. And the the line in the conversation where it goes from learned narration to his summary is a fun little thing that makes a really funny moment. Yeah. So definitely one of the best scenes in the movie and uh, certainly stands out in Tarantino movies in general. You know, mm-hmm. it's, everybody loves it. And it's also got to be one of the best Christopher Walken scenes up there with the uh, the guy from True Romance, the mob boss who comes around. Walken's so good. But yeah, just uh, we, we learn about this watch and then Butch snaps awake, ready to go to the fight. That's that. all I have to say about that scene. What do you have to say? That's... It's a good thing you covered it because I just broke down asswatch Bruce Awakens. <laughs> it is an asswatch when Bruce does awaken. What does Bruce do after he awakens? Uh, he feels up his French wife and they talk about how she wants a pot belly. And it's so attractive to have a pot belly. No. <laughs> that is, I guess that happens eventually. <laughs> but what happens now? Is that Bruce Awakens decides not to throw the fight, kills his opponent in the ring, makes a daring escape because now Marcellus wants to kill him and he bet against him. Uh, He bet on himself to win the fight. Uh And he knew he would make a lot of money because Marcellus said you're going to go down in the fifth. Yeah. And he agreed to. And people heard about it. Yes. So made a shitload of money. He gets away. He's in a cab with this woman named Esmeralda Mm -hmm. Villalobos. And it's this weird, inconsequential scene. Um... Because anybody could have just had Butch get in a cab, arrive at the hotel. But Tarantino's like, yeah, when Butch escapes 
Oh gosh. He like jumps I'm... into the garbage. His name is Bruce Willis. Yes. Uh, so Butch escapes, and anybody could have had him just flag down a cab, arrive at the hotel on the next scene. But they, but we get a yeah, Esmeralda. We're, we're written in to see this weird cabbie, Esmeralda, who's obsessed with like what it feels like to kill. And Butch, we learn more about how he operates in these stressful situations and seems totally not bothered that she knows who he is and that he killed someone. And uh, it's this weird little segue to the hotel where his girlfriend wants a pot belly. So, what does Butch mean? What's the meaning of Butch? Uh, he's American, honey. Their names don't mean anything. Can you look it up? The mean. Oh, you actually thought you were referencing the line from the movie. It, could it just be like Butcher? He's a killer? <laughs> Butch name meaning. It means manly. It's American, according to babynames.com. Means manly is of American origin, originally a nickname for butcher. Hmm. So hey, maybe, maybe it, uh, maybe it does mean killer. Here we go. Okay, now we know. So, potbelly lady, they're in the hotel because they're escaping. Then he has a very violent outburst because she did not pack his watch. Yes. Um. They. We also after they have sex, they shower, and this is a. Bit of an inexcusable uh, performance of a mentally handicapped um, oh, yeah. person. I don't know if mentally handicapped is the terminology now, a but person with disabilities. Okay, yeah. so they use the R word a couple times, and then the and, M word, and the M and oh, really the N word too? M M M is oh, Nancy. I see. Yeah, and um, he does a very. Offensive, dated impression uh, for for laughs, and I do think that Butch is meant to be a hero of the story. And um, oh, certainly, especially later on. Yeah. So this uh, this one doesn't sit with me very well, but I think as far as comparing it to Reservoir Dogs so far, uh, it's less egregious. Less egregious, I'd say for sure. Forgets his watch. He has to go get it. He has to go get it. He has to go get it. Um, oh, yeah, and I don't know if we mentioned specifically, their plan is obviously to skip town and yep. collect the money that he gets, but they have to do it on the DL because mm-hmm. he is a wanted man now. He's very wanted. Bruce goes back to his apartment, and he has a shotgun because he knows he has to protect himself. And for whatever reason, Vincent shows up. What? No? Wrong? That timeline? That's accurate, but that's not why... Any of that went down. Um, oh, sorry. Vincent was sent as a hitman to Butch's apartment, and that submachine gun that's on the counter is Vincent's weapon that he was going to use to kill Butch. <laughs> and it just so happened Vincent was in the crapper. So that's another movie detail with heroin, because heroin binds you up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I've heard that. Uh, cool detail. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he keeps going to the bathroom because he needs to poop, but he can't poop. Because of all the heroin he does. Yes. He's bound up. He's jammed up. (laughs) Poop jam. (laughs) You know, just refer to it as a log jam. It's fine. Log jam. Disgusting. Yeah. So poop logs. I do not. Should we move on? No. (laughs) I don't poop. Me neither. I haven't pooped for three years. It's flowers when it comes out. It's just like roses, but without the thorns. I just, <laughs> most of this is probably going to get cut. It's all just no. get really weird. Uh, I just squeeze my ass really tight and it absorbs back into my body and I use up all the nutrients uh, to the point that it just becomes entirely uh, gaseous vapor. Uh-huh. So it normally takes three or four cycles, mm-hmm. but I can turn all solid waste into just vapor. I squeeze really tight and my poop turns into diamonds. Wow. And I sell those diamonds. For how much? It funds our podcast. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> it's a pretty big production we got going. Our here. podcast doesn't fund our podcast. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Vince gets shot by Butch with the gun uh-huh. that he brought uh-huh. to kill Butch. Yeah, but he was shooting. Mm. No, he wasn't. Because he was heroin. trying to shoot. Yeah, the heroin. <laughs> um, he thought he was slick. He gets his watch, takes off. He's high at, on cloud nine. He's on heroin. Getting away scot-free. 
And then he... Oh, he not... He isn't, though. No, why not? Much like um, Miriam in Psycho. What's oh, her name? yeah. Is it Miriam? Um, I forget her name, but the main, the main woman in Psycho who's skipping town. Mm-hmm. She runs into the exact worst person to run into. Yes, and who does Butch run into at a crosswalk? Butch runs in... To Wallace, literally. He hits Wallace with the car. Yeah, it's such a funny scene. <laughs> like, just, what the hell? You know, like, this whole movie at times feels like Tarantino's just writing these situations, but really it can all just be summed up like, you know, what the hell? You know, so, sometimes things just happen and they're crazy and weird and you can't do anything about it. Life is weird. And Butch is making a clean getaway. Marcellus Wallace is walking in front of his car with a bakery box or something. Something. Like motherfucker, and Butch rams him because his giant car crash. And I think that if one were to nitpick the movie, they could say that's kind of convenient. But I think there's so much other stuff in the movie that's just like, what the hell? Yeah. Like especially later on. Oh god. Um, but for now, they are both delirious from their injuries and run off chasing each other in the street. Marcellus is shooting wildly. He hits a woman. In the crossfire, they both seem very concussed, uh, and they stumble into a pawn shop, and Butch is about to execute Marcellus. He got the upper hand in the fight and got the pistol, and the pawn shop owner posts, uh, aims a shotgun at them and tells them to break it up, and they are now kidnapped mm-hmm. by the pawn shop owner who calls up Zed. Want to run us through this one? Uh, no. No, I can, I can. He calls up Zed, who's a police officer, and they're into some freaky shit. They got him tied up in the basement. Police officer gets there, and he's like, get the gimp. Which is... I've seen this movie, like, this is probably my third or fourth time, and the gimp, this is the weirdest thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. Um, Even if they do have someone that they treat as a gimp, because right now, Butch and Marcellus are bound in a basement mm-hmm. with ball gags and shit. And it's clear that there's going to be some heinous stuff. Yep. But they go into the back room, open up this very small crate, which has a cage in it. And he pulls a leather-clad man, a gimp, out of the cage? Yeah. Does he live in the box? Does he ever get to, like, come out? Like, he's sleeping at the time, but it's the middle of the day, like... Very weird setup. That's how you rile up the gimp to do what he's going to do next. I guess. Butch escapes, mm-hmm. essentially. While they're in back raping Marcellus. Yeah. Because they do any, any, mighty mo, pick Marcellus, bring him into the back room, Butch escapes, knocks out the gimp who's standing guard, and is about to take flight. Mm-hmm. A connecting path. But instead of ditching Wallace, Bruce comes back, he... Stuns, I guess, the one that's watching it happen, the pawn shop owner, because the police officer is doing the raping. Mm-hmm. And then he attacks the police officer. He doesn't stun him. The pawn shop owner? Yeah, no. He slashes him across the chest with a katana. That stuns someone. And then reverse stabs him through the gut. That, that's not good. <laughs> I don't think so. He said some lasers. Yeah, he subdues the pawn shop owner with multiple uh, katana swipes (laughs) across the face and chest. (laughs) What's that? Uh, It's like a college humor skit about Batman. He's (laughs) the battering his neck. I don't kill people. He's he's stunned. Yeah, so the pawn shop owner gets eviscerated. Stunned. <laughs> and then, uh... The officer also gets stunned. Yes, with a shotgun uh, <laughs> being shot to his penis area. And Butch and Marcellus have, a, you know, an agreement moment yeah. of... You lost your L.A. privileges. I'm not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And you're not ever going to tell anyone about this. Yeah. And also, I'm going to bring some of my friends over and we're going to torture this cop. To death. Uh, also, I feel like movies that have rape in them uh-huh. do not often have. It, w- the line that stands out to me is uh, when Marcella says, We're going to get medieval on his ass and like murder this hillbilly rapist. Mm-hmm. And it kind of jumps out to me like he 
calls the character a rapist. Uh, yeah. Which, I mean, even in a movie like Wind River, I don't remember them ever referring to the people as rapists. They just say, like, oh, they did this heinous thing. They're criminals. We hate them. But they don't outright say, this motherfucker is a rapist. I think at the ending, uh, spoiler alert for Wind River, when he has... Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but the main raper, when he has him bound up, it's like, I'm going to give you the same chance you gave her. And I think they explicitly call him a rapist in that scene. Okay. But in any case, it just kind of... Wind River's a really good movie. Yes. That's a shafted movie. That is. Well... It does does show it. Yeah. But it also goes to great lengths to show how brave and heroic the victim actually is. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a touchy one. It's a very challenge. I'll I'll say it's a challenging movie. Yeah, you definitely yeah. don't feel good. No, watching it, it. It's got some really scary statistics too about how one in five. Oh yeah, I almost totally forgot the ending. Yeah. Oh god, one in five what? Uh, Native women get assaulted, something like that, and yeah. then their their cases don't get solved. Nobody cares about their murders. Mm-hmm. It's um. It's a really sad movie. Yeah. And I, I wonder what uh, someone more researched on the topic of, like, assault in, in media or whatever would, would think of it, basically. Because, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot to dissect. Yeah, certainly. Anyhow, Wind River. Yeah, really good movie. We uh, flash back to the briefcase-grabbing scene when they first go up to Brett's apartment. And Jules points at the gunshot holes because they attempted... the. We see a guy... Sorry. There's a fourth guy hiding, and when the saw goes down, he comes out, and he tries to shoot him, and he completely misses him. And Jewel says, this is divine intervention. Mm-hmm. So, he's a religious dude, saying Ezekiel, divine intervention. Yeah. And they kidnap Marvin, essentially, and they are driving with Marvin. They're going to go see, I think they're going to go see Wallace at yeah. this point. But when Vincent's talking to Marvin, his gun accidentally goes off. Shoots him straight in the face. Oh, man. Shot Marvin in the face. Yeah, such a good line. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? I just shot him in the face. <laughs> like, blood is everywhere. It's gruesome. His head, like, exploded. Pretty much, yeah. I wonder what kind of bullets he had in there. Cause, Probably hollow point. Yeah, his head exploded. And then it's super humorous. Yeah. Because he's like, we're driving down the, in broad fucking daylight. Looks like a murder scene back there, you know? Like, we have nowhere to go. So they call up Jimmy. Yes. Played by Quentin Tarantino. And he gets to say the N-word. A lot. So they go over to Jimmy's house, and they're sitting in the uh, kitchen. Having coffee. Having coffee. Real gourmet. Which is, a, which is funny. Yes. Um, Jules is trying to gas Jimmy up because he knows that they're imposing in a big way. And Jimmy says, uh, don't tell me how good the coffee is. Do I have a sign on my garage that says dead N-word storage? And Jules says, oh, no. And he says, you know why I don't have a sign that says dead N-word storage? He's like, no, why? He's like, because storing dead N-words is not my business. So it's like, damn, Quentin, okay, you get to say the N-word. And this is again. To a black person, too. Right? Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's so weird to watch, especially because Jimmy is... Shown to be put upon. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a super minor side character, but he gets to win by calling Jules and Vincent dorks at the end, and he's the one being put out. And uh, it really just feels, again, like how in Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino wrote himself in to make funny little jokes about that Madonna song. And this one, he's like, wouldn't it be funny if this suburban, unassuming white dude was tied to the mob and got to say the N word a bunch? Like, it doesn't really seem to have any reason apart from Tarantino wanting to say it, you know? I, he also gives it. them the weird gym clothes. Yes. And we get to see the wolf, yes. Harvey Keitel. And I, I love I love Harvey Keitel in this movie. Uh, he's all business. He's this weird, mysterious figure who's at what seems to be like a funeral or a party. Something, yeah. Or something. He's in a, a tux. Yeah, he's in a tuxedo at 8 a.m. Yeah. Um, what says, am I, a farmer? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, that's 30 minutes away, I'll be there in 10. And we see him whip around. Yeah. He's coming to clean up the dead body. Uh, they get it cleaned. And the reason I want to talk about the wolf specifically is because it really cracks me up when he gets a cup of coffee. And he just turns around to Jimmy and goes, mmm. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> it just uh, ties the whole joke together in such a good way. And, you know, he builds the mythos of this bizarre cleaner type man. Yeah. But that's all I really have to say about Jimmy's house. They clean up and get out of there. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy's robe looked cozy. Yeah. I wish that's what my Saturday mornings looked like. I Whenever I see the scene, I wish I could taste that coffee. I wish yeah. I knew what the coffee was. Because but it is good. Yeah. Coffee's good. Sometimes. Sometimes. Folgers instant coffee is bad. Yes. If you ever go camping and need an instant <laughs> coffee choice... Don't get Folgers Instant Crystals. It is acrid. There's no reason anybody should be buying it. It it tastes... It's trash. It's horrific. Hot. So there's Folgers Coffee, which is fine. I yeah. mean... I'm not gonna ask. Is it the best part of waking up? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say so. <laughs> is Folgers Coffee the... That's part of like, you know, part one of 32. <laughs> <laughs> part 12, they're instant crystals. <laughs> oh, man. I believe uh, it firmly disproves that it's the best part of waking up. No, uh, it's not the best. It's fine. Instant coffee, though, is disgusting. So, long story short, I want to drink Jimmy's coffee. I want to taste it. We got a Chemex, and we've been doing trade lately. And yeah. they give you some real good stuff. We just got a Honduras. They seem like they do podcast sponsors. Hey Probably. guys, we got two followers. Hit us up. One's one's Dan's mom. Yes. The other one's Dan. We're <laughs> <laughs> moving, baby. So. They're in their jammies. They're in their jammies and they go to a diner. They have this baby. Yes. Uh, and the whole time Jules after that is, it comes up multiple times between then and now, but he is going to hang up his spurs and... Yeah. Uh, he's got to take the sign that he was given to give up life. They go to get breakfast. And I kind of like this, too. It's just such a small thing, but um, Jules is like, oh, I'm this way. And uh, Vincent says, I'm going to get breakfast. Do you want to have breakfast with me? And he says it exactly like that. And it was just kind of like, these guys are probably pretty good friends. And this is probably pretty big news to Vincent. You know, they hung out after he got back from Amsterdam and they went on a job together. They clearly knew each other. And it's just one of those small lines that made it seem like there's a lot more going on outside of the start time and end time yeah. of the movie. You know, they're pals. Uh, so I, I like that. That's good. Who's at the diner? Well, they go to the very diner that Tim Roth and his wife decide to rob. <gasps> and they have a funny little joke uh, conversation about why Jules won't eat bacon because it's a filthy animal. Mm-hmm. They have to be, a, you don't eat a dog even though it's filthy because they got personality. So if a pig had personality, you wouldn't, like, would you love a pig like you love a dog? Is like, it'd have to be a charming fucking pig. Just, they, they have, they're shooting the shit in this diner, their day is done. And then Tim Roth pulls the gun, they initiate the robbery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While Vincent is in the bathroom. Go figure. Wow, because of his heroin. Samuel Jackson. Jackson. He's a smooth-talking guy. Jules is smooth-talking. They've got the gun, and he's he's like, I'm trying to be a shepherd. And his wallet says, bad motherfucker. I have $1,500 in here. Leave everyone alone. That's a pretty good score. Yeah. And Vincent's like, what the fuck? Don't give him $1,500. And then Jules keeps trying to calm down the situation. Mm-hmm. And he does so successfully. Yeah, I'd say it's successful. He seems to have really gotten to the wife, whose name I still can't recall. They just call her Honey Bunny. Honey She's Bunny. credited as Honey Bunny. Honey Bunny. And... Yeah, they walk out, the robbers walk out after being talked down, and uh, he gets to recite his made-up Bible verse, which I uh, found in a fun fact, uh, like MDB. Yeah, it is an amalgamation of a couple different verses that he thought sound cool. And it's a really uh, insightful look, but his character, he's he breaks down like this thing he made up. He's like, I always thought I was uh, the shepherd protecting... Uh, people from evil forces or tyranny, but now I realize that I am the tyranny and you are the the sheep and I'm trying to be the shepherd and like it's it's not really a resolution for his character, it's just a start of something more for his character. Yeah. But you Well Yeah, what sorry. Yeah. Uh we do see that he's stuck to it being his last job because when we cut back to earlier, it Vincent's alone. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had his talk with Marcellus and got out. So 
Yeah, I I think as an end of a movie, yeah, uh, it's it's just really good. You know, like especially with the knowledge, like it's a good cap because it's him. Like I have convictions, and we see it's shown earlier that he is stuck to said conviction. Yeah. While we're talking about timeline, I have read in the past that if the movie were stitched together to be chronologically, uh-huh. uh huh, the final scene is uh, when Butch. Arrives back with his watch, picks up his girlfriend on Zed's motorcycle, and uh, his girlfriend says, "Who's Zed?" And he's like, "Zed's dead, baby." And they take off. As far as the timeline goes, that's the final thing. Oh, okay. But in the the movie that we watched, the final thing is Vincent and Jules walking off into the sunset, so to speak, or the sunrise, yeah. and uh, oh, nice. it's going by. They got life. all that done before sunrise. Yeah, it was um, pretty light throughout the day. Yeah, I guess. Well, because uh, we see them, they arrive at the bar when Marcellus is talking to Butch in their clothes. Mm -hmm. So that's when Jules talks with Marcellus, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the date, that adds a lot to it actually as well. Because the date with Mia, that would occur after Jules had split. So Vincent is probably dealing with uh, losing a friend of his in the business, you know. Kind of adds emotional weight to uh, all that. Now he's got this crazy fucking situation to deal with. Yeah. You know, you shit yourself and you die. So he probably did end up not being bound up by heroin. He got one last release. (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of sad. It's like good for Jules and good for Butch. Kind of tragic for Vincent because he gets shot and all that, but he wasn't a great guy. And The heroin addict. Yeah, Marcellus gets uh, raped and gets his revenge. And I'm sure he probably continues on being a criminal. But yeah, I guess... uh, what, what I'll say I like about this movie is that, like I said before, it's very much... There's so much stuff that does not directly serve the plot. Yeah. And while we were watching it, I was kind of thinking of how everyone talks about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being a movie where people just, like, hang out and watch movies and things don't really happen for the plot. Huh. It, it's a very long movie of just people driving around, checking out friends, things like that. But this movie... Has a lot of its runtime dedicated to people talking and making jokes about pigs and uh, just hanging out and chatting. And a lot of it feels very much dedicated to building these people up as good characters, regardless of whether it's serving the plot or not. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that aspect of just hanging out and good dialogue. Yeah, great dialogue. I think this movie is less egregious than Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And it's vulgarity, but it is certainly there. And there's a, there's more often when it's used, it's easily justifiable. There are instances where it's like, wait, why did they say that? You know, what's the point? Not so, yeah. not so bad. Um, why do you think the movie is fragmented timeline? What is, right. what's the purpose? What, uh, what is the purpose? I think the dramatic tension. It's dramatic irony when the audience knows it. I don't know what kind of irony it is when the writer knows it but the piecemeal revelations of characterization make it a lot more interesting i think yeah I uh, also um it's still all the same day too mm-hmm. yeah, day it's a and nice, night. nice way to break up a day i kind of thinking back like trying to figure out how to answer it because i think that the true answer is 100 percent Makes it more intriguing to watch. You don't watch just complete story, complete story, complete story, done with the movie. It's all really crazy. But also, I think what we're watching is like the craziest day in the lives of a handful of these characters. Yeah. You know, the Mia Wallace overdose, Butch escaping with his life barely and saving Marcellus, Vincent dying, Jules finding true divine inspiration. So I think it makes sense to present all these stories in a totally crazy way that doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, like when you're going through your life and this crazy traumatic thing happens, it's probably very much fragmented uh, in your mind. And it's more than likely just a fun way to tell the story. But I think thematically you could justify it too. Yeah, I, I liked it. It's good. Do you have any closing thoughts? Do you want to rate this baby? Let's rate this baby on right. three, one, two, three, seven eight. and a half. I'll go up to eight. Okay. Yeah, because we're for, I think we're, I would give it a nine if it wasn't for the weird racism stuff. 100%. I, I was going to say I'm 
strictly taking a full point off because while he's figuring out how to use slurs in a sensical way and give them to characters that should say them pretty much. Yeah. There's still some smacks of Tarantino. Yeah. I wonder if it's supposed to be making the characters real because real people swear, but I don't use racial slurs day to day. Yeah, it's a... it's one of those things, um, it's like, real, real people, you know, that, real people aren't traveling hitmen, and, uh, True. and that's a, that's another thing that I've been thinking about for a while, and this might be a conversation for a different day or a different episode, but, uh, I was thinking, like, am I putting too much responsibility on these fictional characters, uh, and part of me thinks, like, no, because the responsibility actually lies with the writer and director. Yeah. And I think it's totally fine to put responsibility on them mm-hmm. because they're real people uh, mm-hmm. who exist in the same world that you and I do. So I guess that's my real quick elevator pitch to why I feel comfortable uh, lambasting a movie for poorly handled social things. Yeah, you know? I really want to rewatch Once Upon a Time and see if there's any weird racism that we didn't notice. We can make it happen. Yeah. I know in Django there is, but that's a slave yeah, movie. Yeah, that's one movie that's going to be like, well, it makes sense because... Everyone's a racist shit. Yeah. So that'll probably get a good pass for how many slurs there are. Yeah. I'm actually excited. I remember really enjoying that movie. Yeah, I'm really excited for next week when we watch Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. That is one of my favorite That's going to have movies. a lot of slurs in it too, but we're going to have to excuse it because it's in the midst of war. Yeah, it's the Jewish people. But anyhow, yeah. eight... Good movie. Great movie. Thanks for listening. You already got our socials. So, uh, eight out of ten Pulp Fiction. Okay, bye. Bye. We're gonna. (laughs) 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 (laughs)